by Chuck Proudfit after listening to a sermon and feeling inspired to make a difference in his own, in his own world, his own community. And uh, if you're kind of looking at that and saying, how does that fit into what we're doing here? Remember we talked about the secular and the sacred? We said there's no secular, there's just sacred and sinful. And it really inspires so many people, especially people who are moms are working, who are at home are taking care of their children and, and uh, people going to work every day saying, well, you're, you know, I'm the sacred one. I'm the pastor and you're in, you're in the secular world. No, not at all. Not at all. Unless what you're doing is sinful, it's sacred and it belongs to God. It's a part of the kingdom of God. This is this will this uh, next Saturday will give you an opportunity to, to take your next step in that journey, talking about the, the sacred and what it means to be in the marketplace where a lot of you are, reaching out to your community in a powerful way. This is a next step in that journey. So next Saturday, 8 o'clock at Montgomery Community Church. And the cool thing is, the great thing is, how churches are working together to bring this about. All the churches coming together to make a difference in our community to go after the, not only evangelize and make a difference in our world, but also to look downtown Cincinnati and try to eliminate systemic poverty. It's a great opportunity. It's our next step. So next Saturday, if you're free, 8 o'clock, 8 to 12, it's going to be a dynamic time of opening up a whole new world. What you thought was ministry, this is going to open up your mind to the, to the, to the broader perspective of what ministry could be every single day of your life. All right, so let's make sure we, uh, we're on that one. Also, one other quick thing. Um, I know from now until September 11th, it's going to be kind of hit or miss, people taking their kids back to college and all that kind of thing. But on September the 4th, Labor Day weekend, if you're in town, you do not want to miss that Sunday, September 4th. Beth Guckenberger is coming in to speak. Um, obviously, Beth has uh, been um, a part of back-to-back ministries for years. Now, Todd and Beth are the directors of back-to-back ministries, and she's going to be coming here and speaking to us and really trying to, trying to get uh, to up, update you on what's happening around the world as well as encourage you to go on this trip we're taking to Monterey in March. So you want to make sure, if you have never heard Beth speak, you, you want to make sure that you're here because she's one of the uh, great speaker, but one of the best storytellers I've ever heard in my life. It'll really be inspiring for anyone who's a part of that. So make sure if you're here, unless you're out of the country or sick or something, you can't just uh, take the day off. All right. One last. Well, one last thing. I said that was the last thing. One last thing. The new series that we're starting on September 11th is Jesus. Help me understand. Jesus. Help me understand. It's going to go through and answer some questions that we all have. All right. About the word of God, things about like heaven and hell. And, you know, you, we hear about those things, but you, sometimes you say, well, you know, is there a literal this or what about that? Or when Jesus said that, what did he mean? We're going to we're going to go through a series called Jesus. Help me understand on September the 11th. That's what's going to kick it off. It's going to be a very dynamic service there. And then that night we have a concert as well. Um, a September 11th, uh, just a memorial time for for that as well. So uh, mark that on your calendar, September 11th, kickoff of kind of the calendar year for the church. And I want to encourage everyone for eight weeks, starting September 11th, to think about either helping start or getting involved in a life group. Because we'll take we'll take what we learned on Sunday morning, and then we'll go into greater detail. Um, during our time of the week, we have our life group. So make sure you're thinking about that, what life group you can be involved in for that eight-week time. All right. When I lived in uh, Marblehead, Massachusetts, it's right outside of Boston. It was a peninsula. It was actually a really, really neat place to live. Um, 
spiritually, it was kind of a dead place. But really, right on the peninsula, I could go fishing all the time. I had a friend of mine uh, who was a, a banker, and he would call me. And not that I'm picking up bankers, but he would call me like at 2 o'clock in the afternoon sometimes and say, what are you doing? And I'm like, I knew what he was asking. And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and uh, he'd say, the blues are running, the bluefish are running. So he had a boat down there. He lived there all his life. So we'd go out and go for blues, uh, you know, from like 2 o'clock to 5 or 6 o'clock at night. It was really, a, it was a neat place to live. Well, in, in Boston, there's a field called Fenway Park, you know, where the Red Sox play. And the neat thing about Fenway Park for me was that in left field, there was a wall. It was called the Green Monster. The Green Monster. I think one of the reasons it was called the Green Monster because it was so much fun to watch the Red Sox players bang the ball off the wall and watch the opposing players trying to figure out which way the ball was going to carry them. They had no idea. And the Red Sox players, they had it down. They'd stand back and watch the ball hit, and they knew where it was going to go. But opposing players had no idea, so the ball would hit the wall. They'd break one way, the ball would go the other way, and instead of like a single or a double, a double would turn into a triple, sometimes inside the park home run. It was really, really exciting to watch, especially if you were a Red Sox fan. Of course, if I'm living in that state, I would be a Red Sox fan. Um, it was just really cool. In Proverbs 14:30, we find a more challenging and even more devastating green monster. And it's called envy. And let me, let me set up this morning with this story. It kind of lays it out. There was once a monk who lived in a cave in the wilderness. He had an amazing reputation for holiness and contentment. His reputation reached hell itself. The devil was so angered by this that he took three of his best demons with him to tempt the monk. When they reached the wilderness, they found the monk sitting at the mouth of a cave with a serene look on his face. The first demon planted in the monk's mind the temptation of great power with visions of kingdoms and their glory. But the face of the monk remained serene. The second demon planted in his mind the temptation of great wealth with visions of silver and gold and all that money can buy. But the face of the monk remained serene. The third demon planted in his mind the temptation of sensuous pleasure with visions of exotic girls but the face of the monk remained serene. Annoyed, the devil screamed, just get out of the way, stand aside, I'm going to show you what has never failed. The devil strolled up behind the monk, leaned over and whispered, have you heard the news? Your classmate Francis has just become the bishop of Alexandria. And with that, the face of the monk scowled. You think about it, envy. I started doing this. I looked at Proverbs and I started looking at envy and I thought this would be, it'd be an interesting. And the more I got into it and thought about my own life and thought about the lives of everyone I know, everyone on the planet, I thought, my goodness, this is, this is a powerful, powerful word, envy. It's one of the seven deadly sins. In every reference in the Bible, it's negative. It's referenced in a negative way. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, it's it's envy that causes the religious leaders of Jesus' day to falsely accuse him, and which that that ultimately led to the cross. Their false accusations and lies. Envy in, in Matthew 27, 18, it says, out of envy and jealousy. They lied about him. They falsely accused him of crimes that were, were not true. And it sent him to the cross. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, in verse 9, it was out of envy that King Saul turned on uh, David 
which, which led to a series of events that ultimately destroyed was the demise of Saul's family and also started a civil war for his nation. Envy. Envy. And you're thinking, some of you sitting here thinking, oh, come on, envy's not that big of a deal. You're making way too much out of this. All right, listen to the company it keeps. I'm going to keep bringing this up because we, we throw things out sometimes on Sunday mornings and you think, oh, that's not as bad as whatever. Listen to the, listen to the company that envy keeps in Galatians chapter 21, and, I'm sorry, 521. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Keeps some pretty nasty company, doesn't it? Keeps some pretty nasty company. I think it would be safe to say, if you're over two years old, that at some point in your life, let's just say at some point in your life, you have envied someone at some time. That, that monster envy has, has crept into your life and has tempted you at, with someone, you've envied someone at some time. It, it may be, maybe you've envied, uh, we've envied those who are, who've got a promotion at work. We've envied the person who's more talented than we are. We've envied that family who, who seemed to have it more together than we do, right? We envy that, 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 that group in school, that popular group in school, you know, oh, they're all such whatever, but the envy is there. You kind of, you, you, you not say it, but you kind of like to be a part of that group or this group, and so you, you, have, that, you have that envy, or, or maybe you envy a friend who excels at something. You've been friends for years, and all of a sudden, they start jumping ahead. They get on the team, and they, they start excelling, and, and you envy, you love them. They're your friend, but something's happened. All of a sudden, now you... Your, your, your heart has changed, your attitude has changed because you're looking at them and envy starts to creep in. And, and, and I, heard, I heard it said, envy feeds on the living and doesn't cease until we're dead. It, it, it feasts, I love that word, it feasts on the living, constantly gnawing away at us, ruining our lives in many cases. And it doesn't cease trying to tempt and destroy until we are dead. It's a challenge we all face. And, and the Bible offers powerful reasons why we should be wary of it. We should be careful. We should put it in the forefront of our minds and be careful of it. First, envy not only hurts us spiritually, and we know it lays out in Scripture, it hurts us spiritually, but it also hurts us physically and emotionally. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, it tells us the mind, listen, a mind at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones right to the core. A mind at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Think about what envy does to you emotionally. Think about what it does to you once it does that to you emotionally, what it does to you physically. The physical attributes, the physical, uh, f- the feelings that come along with when you're, when you're outraged or frustrated that someone's got, got something that has something that you don't have. I think, I think, I think that makes it clear, doesn't it? Rots the bones. Envy is numbered among the seven deadly sins because it can kill you. 
It can kill a lot of things in, in your life. It, listen, think about it. It kills your peace. You want peace. It kills the, your peace, your joy, your contentment. It kills your hope. It, it, it kills your capacity to love. It kills your faith and your intimacy with Jesus Christ. It kills your, your motivation to obey and your willingness to serve. Because you see someone else and you think, oh, man, I, I, I hear people say all the time, and I don't think it's envy, but we, well, even the band up here, oh, I, I, I couldn't play. I'm not anywhere near as good as them. And, and sometimes that turns into kind of a, not here, I'm just telling you in general, when you see someone doing something, you envy them, and then you don't get engaged. You don't want to use your gifts. And it kills, it, it kills, listen, it kills your sense of fulfillment, Because no matter what you do, someone has done it more or done it better or done it first or done it for more praise and and recognition than than you have. You you know, it's amazing. I don't care if you're a pastor going to ministry. I don't care if you're going into your first job. You go in there all bright eyed and all excited and you're just thinking about, boy, I'm so glad to have this job and, and, and I'm making good money and, and I'm doing well and I can't wait to get started. And then after a, few, a year or so, guys, but probably less than, you start to go around your office or you start to look around your neighborhood, this, this family, whatever else, and the joy that you had just to have a family, I'm so excited to have a family, is robbed because you're looking at the Joneses over here and what they have and what you don't have. You're at work. And your and your your joy is being robbed because you're watching the other guy and you're 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 happy and content with what you're doing and what your salary was until you look over here and the guy over here now he's been promoted and you know you're saying why didn't I get promoted and then you're frustrated and instead of just being content and having peace and joy and and and, and happiness in what you're doing it creeps in it creeps in and steals your fulfillment and then you become dissatisfy with where you are, not because anything's changed in your life, but because someone, something changed in someone else's life and you're comparing yourself to that person. The second problem is that envy leads you down, down, a, down a, 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 to making terrible decisions. Envy leads people into making really terrible decisions. You know, you're, you're, you're going along, you're doing fine, and all of a sudden envy starts to creep in. See, God has put us on a specific path. We're created for a purpose. God puts us on a path to follow that that leads us in a good direction. Then envy comes along and leads us down a dead-end street. God puts you on that path. He wants you to start working that path and walking that good path and that positive path. But then envy comes along and Satan whispers in your ear, Did you hear John in accounting just got promoted? Your day is ruined. How could they choose him over you? That guy's a knucklehead, right? Who, who could see anything in him compared to... So he leads you down a road. It's, it, 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 it blinds us. There was an athlete who was jealous of his main competition. They were rivals as far back as this athlete could remember. One night, an angel appeared to the envious athlete and said, I will grant you one wish, but with the understanding that whatever you want, your rival will get twice as much. So if you want to win the state championship or you want to be named to the Olympic squad or you want to become famous, your rival is going to get twice as much. Now, what do you want? The envious athlete replied, blind me in one eye. 
blind me in one eye. Envy creates a spiritual blind spot in our lives, in, our, in which, we, which we, lose our, we lose our moral compass and our sense of purpose. Instead of, I mean, dreaming of what the possibilities could be for my life, I could be able, I get to think about that. I know it's, it's not real, but think about that story and how it is true in our lives. Instead of enjoying and saying, and saying to that angel, oh yeah, I would love to make the Olympic team. I don't care. I'm just, just to be on the team. But instead, envy, it, it creates a spiritual blind spot. We lose our moral compass, we, we lose our sense of purpose, and we begin to make foolish decisions, foolish choices, not based upon what's going to bring glory to God, not based upon what's going to, what's going to build the kingdom, but based upon just you know, uh, uh, the desire that somehow I would be better, that I would do more. I, I, I've watched people in business destroy their businesses because of envy. Jealousy and envy. I was reading a book and the author of the book was talking about one of the kids. I think it was Winners Never Cheat. A huntsman. I think John Huntsman wrote the book, Winners Never Cheat. And in the book, he's talking about two companies, one he worked for, another company. And he said they were rival companies. And the company that he was a part of, that company was constantly focused on what the other company was doing. How could we undermine them? They did something years ago. So we're going to get them back. We're going to get them back. We're going to make sure. And they focused all their attention on how they could be better than that company, what they were doing, how they could do better. And the other company just basically focused on, you know, sales and marketing and, uh, and their plan. They made a plan they followed their plan one company basically got all the market share and the other company went out of business so i remember right i've seen that on large scale and on a smaller scale in businesses where people envy the other business envy the other person and instead of making wise business decisions they're figuring out how they can get they can top the other person or or crush the other person you waste your time it's not it's not a good business plan your or a church vision our vision is to make sure we crush every other church in mason you know what i mean we badmouth them. I'll badmouth this church and that church and this church and tell you things. Every once in a while, I'll throw a little dig in against Montgomery Church or, or the Baptist Church here or the one down there. I'll just, you know, I won't say it out. I'll just kind of throw a little dig in there and show you how we're. I mean, that's not a vision. To try to crush someone else is not a vision. To try to crush another, your competitor, is not a business plan. And when we when we get when Satan whispers in our ear constantly, instead of making good decisions, we make poor decisions. So how do we overcome? How do we respond to the temptation of envy? Well, Paul gives us the key to success in the book of Philippians and it's other places. This is what I just gleaned. But I think he gives us a really good path to success in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter one and verse 15, it says it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Now, some it's amazing. People in church, when, when pastors get all, they're, they're a rival against another church, they speak poorly about other churches, people in church are just dumbfounded. Well, I thought this was a church. How could you say that about a church? I totally understand where you're coming from. But see this? I, I, thank God I'm not doing it, so I'll just, but see, this is called flesh, Okay. And the flesh, all I needed, the monk, go back to the monk story. It was a monk. It wasn't a business guy. It was a monk, right? 
Did you hear that? Did you hear that the other church doubled in size in the last year? I know that pastor. He, he can't preach to save his life. He couldn't preach the way of a paper bag. How's his church getting twice his size? You know what I mean? Oh, oh, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? That envy comes in. And Paul says it. Look what he says. He's, it, is, it is true that some preach Christ. Some are preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. The others out of goodwill. It's so true. See, part of Paul's motive for writing the book of Philippians was to really to address the spirit of envy that had taken root in the lives of some of the church leaders. While we should be preaching Christ out of a desire to glorify God, it is possible to preach Christ out of a spirit of envy, and it happens all the time, all the time, all the time. And in his culture, it happens more and more and more. And these guys here, what they were doing, they were running around preaching the gospel, trying to get converts and, and making themselves look really good and see if they can build their area of ministry. Why? Because while Paul was in prison, they wanted to torment him. That was their reason for preaching the gospel, to torment Paul. Isn't that something? I mean, that was their reason. Now, people got saved and God can still use it, but their motive for doing it was to torment poor Paul. Envy is a poisonous and powerful motivator in some people's lives. You are going to crush that guy at work, that sales guy at work. You're going to crush him. Crush him. If he loses his job, that's not your problem. You're going to crush him into the... You're going to... You'll do everything you can to make sure you top him. You beat him. It is a powerful but poisonous motivator in the lives of a lot of people. And if we don't want to fall into this sin, we need to address it in our own lives. Honestly, there's not a person sitting in this room. I thought about it for the last couple of weeks. Not a person sitting anywhere I could speak that would hear my voice all over the world that does it not in some area, unless, unless it's just God has given that person. They've worked through it spiritually. They've been under that kind of attack and they've worked through it spiritually. But everyone has at least sensed and felt this, this temptation of envy. And we need to stop, all of us need to stop making excuses, calling it something else. We need to stop hiding from the truth of the reality that it's a part of our lives and, and, and saying things like, well, that person, that, that person's just a doofus. You know, I, I don't know how they should never have gotten that promotion. They should never have gotten that raise. Um, and I'm, it has, this has nothing to do with envy, Pastor. This is, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just telling the facts. The person is whatever. That person's the, and yeah, and I don't understand why I, and it's not because I'm envious, it's, it's because this person truly is, you know, honestly, stop putting chocolate on chicken poop and calling it candy. <laughs> that's the nicest way I can put it, okay? Because that's really what we're doing here when we do kind of th- things like that. We're just, oh, we're not, that's not really how I'm feeling. It's just, it's just the person really is. Uh, stop rationalizing, stop making excuses. You know, a small child can see an amputation, okay, and call it a boo-boo. Oh, a boo-boo. So we do sometimes. We see this amputation in our lives, whatever, and we're calling it a boo-boo. Envy is not a boo-boo. It is, a, it is, it is an infected... I don't know the best way to put it, a festering infection that if it's left untreated will destroy your, it'll kill you. 
It'll kill you. It'll take away your joy, your peace, your contentment. It'll take away your desire to get up in the morning. Every day you get up, it's never enough because someone else has done it better. Someone else has done it more. They've written the book you wanted to write and your whole life is completely crummy because every time you turn around, someone's got something else that you don't have that you wanted or whatever else and your life is completely destroyed. And we say, oh, boo-boo. It's not a boo-boo, okay? It is the disgusting, infectious wound that it left untreated in our lives, okay, will kill us, will destroy us. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? I said that self-evaluation is the beginning of self-improvement. I have to look at myself in the mirror and ask this question. Am I, is, is, are my motives to do certain things coming out of envy? Is Satan whispering in my ear? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean it's even more so things get whispered in my ear. To bring me down, to try to destroy me, to undermine what God is doing in my life. He whispers in your ear. I don't care if you're a junior higher or you're in elementary school or you're in high school or you're in college or you work for yourself or you work for someone else or you're a mom at home and you go to your mom's in touch groups and all those other kind of things that you do. And there's oh, you're looking, oh, oh that, kid's acting, that kid acts so much better than my kid. And the person brags a little bit and their kid made it to this school and whatever else. And next thing you know, you don't want to be a part of that group anymore. You really like God. Going, but you can't envy ruins it for you it is it is an infectious disease be honest with yourself i need to be honest with myself you need to be honest with yourself or we will never grow we will never find honestly the peace that we all long for the more i thought about this the idea of envy the more and the larger it became as one of the main reasons that we get robbed of our joy and peace and contentment. This is one of the main reasons why we are robbed of, of a life of happiness. And I'm using happiness in a positive way. I know happiness is based on circumstances sometimes. But I'm just saying to live the kind of life that you can just, oh, you know, hey, the sun is shining and God is good and I have food on my table, a roof over my head. You know, I, I walk up to, I do this all the time and I still do it because of how I grew up. I, my mom and I grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in New York and never had anything, never even thought about, you know, I always dreamed maybe of having a house someday out there somewhere. I walk up my long concrete driveway on Butler Warren Road to my house. It's not the biggest house in the world, okay, but it's bigger than I ever thought I would have. On my two and a half acres, my little pond in the backyard, I have a drawing that I, I it was a drawing I drew when I was probably maybe seven years old, seven or maybe seven or eight years old. And I got I found it. And it has it has on that drawing what I have walking up my driveway, a little pond in the backyard. Only thing I didn't open was a, a pet store. I wanted to open a pet store. But we opened a thrift store. We had all kinds of things. Maybe I'll, we will open a pet store someday. It'll be like, perfect. Now I'm going to do it just to have my picture. I'll put it in my office. <laughs> But you know, and now you, if I was then, I was, I was jettisoned to now, I'd be like, yes, look at this. I've achieved everything I ever wanted. But you know what? Satan whispers in my ear, not about my house, but other things. That's not as, you know, how about this? And how about that? And why haven't you? And I thought you wanted to. And God can do immeasurably more. And I don't think it is immeasurably more. And, and all of a sudden I get robbed of the joy of what God is doing because he's whispering all these things in my ear and stealing my happiness, stealing my peace, stealing my contentment. We need to be aware of that. I'm, make, I'm, I'm belaboring this point here because I, you have to understand. It's one of those things that you have to acknowledge is there and then with everything in you, kill it before it kills you. 
I mean declare war on it. When it comes into your mind, recognize it for what it is and just do everything in your spiritual power to annihilate it. I don't care what it takes. Go before the Lord. Pray about it every day. Every time you get up in the morning, Lord, God, help me not be envious. And Paul points out how some of the ways that we can do that. He points it out. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, Paul offers another response to our envy here. He tells us to do the opposite. See, now, just so I'm, I'm, I'm warning you, nothing he's going to tell us is like you know, one of those easy kind of deals. It never is, but it works. He, Paul says, here's the answer. Do the opposite of what your sinful nature is telling you to do. Do the opposite. If you're tempted to envy someone, it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, listen to this, consider others, listen to this word, better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Okay? When you feel tempted to envy someone because of a promotion or some kind of thing that they have, have gotten at work, Work harder to help them become even more uh, successful in what they're doing at work. You, instead of, instead of sitting there seething and whatever, you figure out a way that you could build into that person's life to help them be even better at what they do. If, you're, if you become envious of a friend, it's a friend, someone you love, you've done things together, you've, you've, you've been through hard times together, and your friend begins to excel in something. Find out how you can invest in your friend's life so they become even better at what they're doing. Do the opposite of what your sinful nature tells you to do. Do you want to be happy in life? I'm going to, uh, this, is, this is Jeff Greer. You hang, write this down, okay? Here's how you can be happy, joyful, contentment in life. Whatever the world tells you to do, whatever your nature tells you to do, do the opposite. You think, oh, because you're, you're going to be led into, oh, if I do this and you... Do whatever the world tells you to do, whatever the world tells you to do, 98% of the time, or what your nature tells you to do, flip it around, do the opposite. Because after a while, if you keep doing that, there's, the whispering stops because it's not working. You know, if, if I, you ever, you ever get, you ever tease someone when you were little or get teased? If you start to cry, they tease you more. If, if it bugs you, if someone says, oh, man, you're you have the skinniest legs, ah, you know, if it bugs you, they'll call you, you'll call you chicken legs for the rest of your life just to bug you more. Right. That's the imagine the enemy. If, as soon as he finds out this, some, that's a that's an area that can really get you. Whisper, 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 pound, pound, pound. But if you're if, if you're if you're helping your rival, if you're helping your friend become even better than they were before, after a while, it's like, well, my goodness, I'm going to go bug someone else. This isn't really working with this guy. It does not working at all. Paul says, consider others better than yourselves. You know, it's not being a doormat. This is important because some people are sitting here thinking, oh man, he's just telling me to be a doormat. It has nothing to do with being a doormat. It's got nothing to do with lessening yourself, you know, lowering yourself. It is a defense. What I'm, what I'm trying to teach you, what Paul's trying to teach you here is a defense against the hideous, horrifying sin of envy. That's what he's doing. 
He's given you the, the, the medication. He's given you the remedy to how to overcome this horrifying, sinful, I don't know what you would call it. I'll give all the rotten names I can and then we'll put envy at the end. He's helping you overcome that because, oh, the pride that it, it tears you yourself, it tears you up inside physically, emotionally, spiritually. He says, look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. It's not all about what it's just. Hey, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be your best. I want to be the best that God has created me to be. I will settle for nothing less than the best Jeff Greer that, that God could possibly want in me. That's my goal. I want to be the best. I want to go for the gold. But you know what? In going for the gold, I can just take people along with me and enjoy the ride. And if in some way someone in this congregation is better than I am or more gifted or more talented than I am in some area and they start to pull ahead, it's smarter. Why pull back on the reins of that person? Who is the enemy here? Not that person. We have an enemy and it's not brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not the church down the street or across town that's bigger than we are. They're not our enemies. They're our friends. They're our brothers in Christ. They're they're in arms with us fighting our enemy. When that person starts to pull ahead, don't pull back on the reins. Give them a slap in a good way. Get them going. Clear their path. Get everything out of their way. Allow them to do what God has called them to do. They might get famous. They might, they might get more accolades. But again, what are we talking about here? Furthering the kingdom of God. And in a smaller way, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a simpler way, you becoming a person that is no longer entangled and ensnared in this whole idea of envy and jealousy and rivalry that is so destroying our lives. We can overcome that. We can overcome that and we can make a difference. You know, again, it's okay to do your best, but we need to make sure that as we do our best and others are doing their best around us, that we're working together. Comparing yourself to other people is the very seed of envy. Sir... Francis Bacon wrote this, Envy is ever joined with the comparing of man's self. And where there is no comparison, no envy. Where there is no comparison, no envy. Paul also calls us to keep our eyes focused on what what truly matters. He wants us to have an eternal perspective. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3.8. He says, what is more, I consider, listen to every word here. This is important. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, which is pretty much dung that I may gain Christ. And it continues in verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. What's important to him? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's focus, his focus, his life focus, is Jesus Christ. What matters most to him is building the kingdom of God and honoring Jesus Christ and furthering the cause of Jesus Christ. Envy takes root, my friends, in a distracted heart. Envy takes root in a double-minded person. Paul is saying, here's what our focus is. Here's the eternal perspective. Here's the big picture. Here's the enemy. Here's the good guys. Focus. If you got, He says, what's most important? It's building the kingdom of God. All these other things are rubbish. They're of no value whatsoever. 
Once a person loses perspective, they begin to listen to the wisdom of this world. They begin to get pulled in and, and envy gets a foothold. You begin to major on the minors. You begin to think about and major on things that don't really matter. You get distracted. You become double minded. The enemy has you running in circles and going nowhere. What, what, what others do and what others possess becomes more pressing to us than how we are to, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, press on toward the goal for the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're more, what others, what someone else do and what someone else possesses becomes more pressing than what should be pressing. Pressing on toward the goal for the prize for which Christ, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We need to keep our priorities straight and keep from becoming sidetracked. If we truly want to keep our priorities straight, if we truly want to avoid envy permeating our lives, we need to make sure we don't get sidetracked. Paul gives us one more way to fight the, uh, the temptation of envy. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's telling us to keep our minds focused on the spiritually positive. Isn't that hard? It's so much easier for a mind to fall into the negative. Paul is saying, no, no, when, when those thoughts come to your mind, take, remember, take those thoughts captive. And what do you want to think about? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Start thinking about what really matters on the spiritually positive. Paul's not talking about having some Pollyanna kind of mindset where you never, you know, you go into your little hovel, you never think about the sinful, challenging, bad, difficult, um, you know, painful things in life. But what he is saying is he wants us to follow 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7, where it says he wants us to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, to endure all things for the sake of others, for the sake of others, putting the other person before yourself. It is very difficult to keep comparing and comparing and comparing with other people if you're putting other people before yourself and thinking about these things. Envy envy flourishes where we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. Envy flourishes when we start judging the other person's motives. Envy absolutely flourishes when we believe the worst in someone else. You know why they did that at work? Because this, that. You know why that person did this? Because, because. And you're, at, you're adding all these negative motives. You're thinking the worst. You're not giving the person the benefit of the doubt. And that is just a field day for envy. On the other hand, if we have a heart of thanksgiving... If we truly have a heart of thanksgiving, it kills. It like, it's like spraying stuff on, on weeds. It kills the seed of envy. Thanksgiving, having a heart of thanks, being thankful for how big my house is or how small my house is, being thankful for where I am, I have a job, being thankful for who I'm with and my family, being thankful for all these things, what that does is it kills the seed of envy. I heard it said, I heard it said like this, The poison of envy cannot seep into the mind that breathes praise. 
The poison of envy cannot seep into the mind that breathes praise. God, I thank you. I praise you. I thank you for my life and my family and my friends and what you've given me and the opportunities and that I have, that I have all my faculties and I'm able to do this. And I'm, I mean, Lord, I thank you for all these things. That show, I, I'm, I bless you. I thank you. I'm so... The poison of envy cannot seep into the mind of someone who is thanking and praising God. It's amazing. It's amazing. We all know that phrase, green with envy. Green with envy. As I was writing this sermon, I remember a pair of sunglasses that I had a few years back. I never spent a lot of money on sunglasses. Recently I did. I got a pair of prescription sunglasses. And so I know where they are all the time. Right now, they're sitting on my mantle uh, at home next to my other glasses. I know exactly where they are because it costs a lot of money. <laughs> I used to wear glasses that, like, you know, I found, I found them in the woods when I was fishing, whatever else. If they, you know, if they cut the sun down, I just wore them. It was good. I don't care. You know, disinfect them a little bit and put them on. Um, I didn't care. And I had one pair of sunglasses a few years back, and it, and it had a green tint to them. They were tinted green. And it, and it wasn't a nice tinted green. It was kind of a distorted green. You ever have some sunglasses where you put them on and it looks like a storm's coming all the time? You ever do that? You're like, boy, it looks stormy. And then you open it and it's like, no, it doesn't look too stormy. Right? All green tinted nasty glasses or whatever else. It always looks like something bad's going to happen. The Christian life doesn't need to be tinted or shadowed by envy. It doesn't need to be that way. You've got to take those glasses off. You need to address it in your own life. If you want to avoid it, you need to address it in your own life. You need to call it when it happens to you. You need to call it by name and do whatever you need to do to overcome it. You call it by name when it tempts you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to channel our thoughts and channel our focus on things that build others up and not what tears others down. And Satan pours into our minds that seed of envy that allows us, or, or for, in, in a sense, brings us to the point we start criticizing each other for what? Because a person's, you're, because a person's using the gifts that God has given them. Think about it. God gifted that friend with those abilities, and that person should not have to hold back. We should be saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, that they run faster than anyone else I know, or that they're, they're a better singer than anyone else I know, or they're better at business than anyone else. Thank God it's a believer in Jesus Christ who has those gifts. I want to make sure that everything I do supports that person. This is a battle. This is a constant battle for us. And if we do not stay alert and stay focused, we will fall into the snare of envy. We need to stay alert. We need to stay focused at all times. And I, am, I will raise my hand along with everybody else in this room that if, we don't, if we're not careful, it's not one of those things that you can just, oh, I've overcome that and move on. Because as soon as you think that way, here comes the enemy. Here comes the enemy. If you stay focused and diligent... And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and not allow yourself to listen to your sinful nature. You begin to see life more clearly the way God designed it. And my friends, the view is breathtaking. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And we pray, dear God, that you would use us in a powerful way to minister to other people who have gifts and abilities that are far greater than ours. Lord God, that we would encourage them, that we would support them. We would not compare ourselves to them so that we can live our lives and focus on what you've called us to do. And they can focus on what you've called them to do. And your kingdom will go forward. The cause of Christ will be glorified and built up. And the enemy will be crushed. The enemy will be the one who will be crushed, not those that you have given those gifts and abilities to. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.